But this morning, we are finishing our series uh, called Radical Generosity. When I was in college on a day very much like today, uh, me and some friends, uh, or some friends and I, I should say, we went to Olive Garden for lunch. And we enjoyed our meal, you know, those delicious breadsticks and, and all-you-can-eat salad. Um, and uh, at the end of the meal, if you've ever gone to the Olive Garden, you know that they, when, when they bring you the check, they bring you something else to soften the blow of the check. Those little Andes mint chocolates, right? And there were about six of us at lunch, and so they brought us exactly six of them because it's one per person. And we got them, and we kind of spread them out so everybody got one. And one of my friends, John, he, he loves those things, and he was so sad that he only got one. He was trying to convince us to give uh, ours to him. And the waitress kind of overheard the conversation, and so being a generous waitress, she came by later and just dumped like 15 Andy's chocolate mints right in front of him. And before any of us could respond, he wrapped his arms around them. And he, he pulled them all, and he crammed them into his pockets and would not let any of us have any of her generosity. So we go outside, and remember, it was a day a lot like today. It's 95 degrees out, and he gets out, and as soon as he steps out of the Olive Garden, reality hits him, and he knows what's going to happen. He's like, oh, my goodness. My, all these are going to melt in my pants. I'm going to have pockets full of mint and chocolate melt. And so now he's frantically trying to give them away. He's like begging us, no, eat one, please, take one from me. Of course, we're all pl- we realize what's happening. So we're like, no, nah, we we're so full, we couldn't possibly eat one. You just, you hold on to those. And, you know, in one case, the generosity of the waitress was kind of pure. And then in the other case, the generosity of my friend John wasn't exactly pure. It was actually still self-serving. And this morning as we talk about generosity and specifically about giving, uh, one of the things we need to realize up front is that there's good reasons to be generous and there's bad reasons to be generous. And in this letter that the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Corinth, what he's doing is he's actually raising money for other believers. There's a famine in Jerusalem and the churches in Jerusalem are suffering. The believers in Jerusalem are suffering. And so Paul is sort of going on a fundraising effort. And he's already raised monies from from churches in Macedonia, churches in places like Philippi, where we get the book of Philippians from, and Thessalonica, where we get the book of Thessalonians from, and the believers in Berea. These are the Macedonian churches. And now he's writing to the churches in Corinth, and he's asking them to join in on the effort of supporting people they'll never meet, they do not know, They'll never see the results of their generosity, but Paul's asking them to be generous. And I think in doing so, he's actually asking us to be generous. So let's look at this together, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes these words. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he's holding these Macedonian churches up as an example of the grace of God. And as we read this, don't miss this, what Paul is saying here is tremendously significant and somewhat surprising because what he's saying is that one of the clearest indicators that the gospel of grace is at work in your heart is that you're radically generous. One of the clearest indicators that you have received the grace of God is that you are generous toward others. Verse 2, he goes on and says, In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Even out of their poverty, they were generous. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify. He's saying, I saw this, I experienced this. And beyond their means, of their own accord. 
begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So Titus is in Corinth, and he's saying to Titus, collect an offering from the church in Corinth to support the church in Jerusalem. Verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul refers to generosity as an act of grace. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And of course, Paul's not talking about uh, financial wealth. He's talking about spiritual wealth here. So what we see in this passage is that radical giving, which is what we're talking about this morning, is marked by a richness of generosity. And it's stunning, radical, breathtaking generosity. Now, what is generosity? And I, I wrote this definition of generosity. It's a bit of a mouthful, but I think it will help us this morning. Generosity is the habit of giving more than would be expected to those who are not expecting it while expecting Nothing in return. I know I used the same word three times in a definition. That's probably a no-no. But this is the way it helped me. Generosity is the habit of giving more than would be expected to those who are not expecting it while expecting nothing in return. And when we look at this definition, I just want to point out that generosity is not just an act. It's not just an event. It's a habit. Habits are things that we begin to do without thinking. Habits are things that they, at first, a habit takes a while to get going, right? You want to get a good new habit of working out or you want to stop a certain behavior. It takes a lot of effort and intentionality at first, but after 30 days or so, experts say eventually a habit becomes something that you don't have to remind yourself to do. You don't have to work yourself up to do it. You just do it. And I believe that for Christians, generosity should not be an occasional act. It should not just be something we do when we are forced to do it or manipulated to do it or asked to do it but it should be a habit. Generosity is a habit. And generosity is a habit of giving more than would be expected. And I didn't say giving more money because generosity is not just about money, of course. It's about so much more than money. We can be generous with our time. The ways in which we go to help one another on projects or, 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 or just the listening ear that we offer to somebody. Generous with our time. We can be generous with our words. Choosing to speak life into people instead of death into people. Generous with our talent, using our gifts, and, and many people in this church are so generous with their time and with their talents. And then, of course, also generous with our treasure, with our finances, and with our wealth. Generous about so many things. And, you know, at Trinity, I'm, so, I'm always amazed by how willing people are to be generous with their time. When somebody is moving and they say, we could use a team of people to come help us fill a moving truck, we almost never have an issue getting individuals to say, I'll be there. I'll come in. I'll give up three hours on a Saturday morning, and I'll go help somebody move. 
We have people in our church who say, I'll make meals for people when they're in the hospital or when their family is in need. We have people serving this morning in the nursery and Trinity Kids, ushers who helped you find your seats. These are people who gave of their time this morning generously so that we can be here together. And so I just, I love that. We're a generous church. We're generous people. But generosity also never expects anything in return. So it's more than would be expected to those who are not expecting while expecting nothing in return. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But generosity does not expect applause or appreciation. Generosity is not giving and waiting to hear thank you. Generosity, you don't expect to be looked differently at uh, or, or considered to be better now afterwards. Generosity is not giving to feel better about yourself. I feel kind of bad, I'm guilty, I'll give something. That's not generosity. And generosity never expects the scales to be balanced, you know. When I go to a restaurant, I want to be the last person to order every time. You know why? I want to see what everybody else ordered first, and then I want to order something differently because my hope is that everyone at the table will be generous. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to sample as much of the menu as I can. Nothing worse than going to eat with six people and everybody orders the same thing. What's the point? We might as well stay at home. And so I'll see what other people order, and then I order something else. And then when it comes to the table, I'll offer them a bite. But if I'm honest, what I really want in return (laughs) is a bite of their food. So it's not really generosity. Because generosity is not giving, expecting something in return. Generosity is if even if I get nothing back, even if I don't get the simple thank you back, I'm glad to give. Generosity. So when we look at this, uh, the Macedonians, we're going to notice this morning three characteristics of generous people. And the first thing is this, that generous people give beyond their means. They give beyond their means. The Macedonians were not wealthy. They were not rich. In fact, according to this text, some people would have said they were impoverished, that they had gone through really hard times and trials. They had every excuse to not give. We got our own problems here. We got our own needs We're not wealthy. We're not living beyond our means. How can we give beyond our means when we can't even live beyond our means? And often before you and I give uh, or when we're asked to give, the first question we consider is this. How much can I give and still have enough for me? How much can I give and still get everything that I want? We might be willing to give, but we want to give within our ability or within our means. And Paul says they gave beyond their means, or in other translations, they gave beyond their ability. In other words, they gave beyond what anybody could have reasonably expected them to give. But we often don't want giving to cost us, to inconvenience us, but that's not how the Macedonians gave. It's been said that it's not real sacrifice until it hurts. And generosity is costly. And there's no way around it. And generous people give beyond their means. Now, I do want to throw this caveat out there. I'm not talking about giving in such a way that sacrifices your ability to provide for your family on a basic level. I'm not talking about being foolish and reckless with your money that you give all your money away and you can't pay your bills in your house. You can't pay for your electricity and you can't feed your children. You understand that, right? I'm not talking about that sort of living. What I'm talking about is doing the hard work of asking the question, what is a need and what is a want? And knowing the difference between what we need to live and what we would want to live, and then say, is there a way beyond my basic needs that I can give above and beyond my needs, means? The purpose of generous giving is not to make you suffer, not to make your family suffer, so don't hear me wrong. But the purpose of generous giving is to respond to God's generosity towards us and to give in such a way that the painful act of generosity becomes less painful and less painful over time as we turn it from an activity into a habit, right? 
When you go to the gym for the first time and you do a specific exercise for the first time, there's this tremendous, tremendous pain. I remember there was a young couple in our church who invited me. Uh, he invited me to go join him at a fit body boot camp. It's a 30-minute high interval. No, sorry, let me get it right. 30-minute high-intensity interval training, which basically means they try to kill you for a half an hour. <laughs> and so I'm doing things I don't normally do, like squat <laughs> and, and jump and grab heavy ropes and whip them around for some reason. I don't understand half the stuff that I'm doing. And I'm doing this stuff, and I barely get through it. And I get in it. It was out on Erie Boulevard. I get into my car to drive back where I live up here in Liverpool, and I'm on 41. And I'm not kidding. I almost pulled over. I felt so lightheaded and nauseous. I thought I was going to pass out because I was so spent by that. But now they tell me. I never went back. But they, they, <laughs> they tell me that if you go back... It gets better. And actually, what they tell me is that in time, your body goes from hating it to wanting it, to craving it. And there's something about being generous, even when it's painful, that is forward-looking. It says, I'm going to choose painful acts of generosity because I believe that if it becomes a habit at time, the pain will go and it will be a joy. And instead of my heart fighting against being generous, my heart will actually crave opportunities to be generous. Mother Teresa said, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. I have found the paradox that if you will love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, but only more love. And I think you might be able to substitute the word love for give. I have found the paradox that if you will give until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more giving and generosity. Generosity may start out painful, but it won't stay that way. So the question before is, is what would giving beyond your ability and giving beyond your means look like for you? And only you can understand that. Only you can decide that. But as a, if, if you're here with your spouse or if you're here and you're a single-person household or wherever you're at in life, this is a question for you to ask yourself and wrestle with. What would it look like? Am I giving beyond my means like the churches in Macedonia were? And if, if I was, what would that look like? Okay. Second thing that we learn here is that generous people are eager to give. It's really interesting language that Paul uses here. He says that they begged to give. They begged us earnestly for the opportunity to give. They gave because they were desperate, one translation says, they were desperate for the privilege of giving. They considered giving such a privilege that they begged us earnestly for the favor. Can you imagine someone coming up to you and passionately begging you, please let me give you money. Let me give you, where are those friends, right? Where are those people? But that's the way the churches, the people in Macedonia were. They were so eager to give that they begged for the opportunity to participate. They initiated the act of giving. They were not strong-armed or manipulated or forced or emotionally worked into giving. I'm sure you've seen commercials on TV, sad videos uh, of children uh, in other parts of the world that don't have enough food or animals that are neglected and there's always some sad song in the background and by the end you're weeping and reaching for the phone in your credit card, right? And, and I, I guess there's a place for that if those things are accurately bringing attention to a real need. But we tend to be so instinctively greedy that we need stuff like that to make us give. We need to be worked. But that's not why and how these Macedonians gave. They didn't give out of pride. I'm better than the people who don't give. 
They didn't give out of pride. Well, you know, I guess it's my annual opportunity for the, to help out the nobodies and the outsiders and all the poor people. They didn't give out of pride. They also didn't give out of fear. It wasn't, if I don't give, God will hate me. God won't love me. What will people think of me? They didn't give out of pride. They didn't give out of fear. They gave out of grace. The grace that they had experienced in the person of Jesus Christ. Grace-motivated generosity is lived out by people who don't wait to ask. They don't wait to be asked to give. Listen, Christians don't wait to be asked to give. We go looking for opportunities to give. Where can I be generous? When you Think about it this way. When you walk into a service on a Sunday morning, you walk into this building, instead of asking the question, what can I get this morning? Will I like the music? Will I like the preaching? Will I like how the room looks, how the room feels? Will I, will it, what will it do for me? What if every single one of us showed up on Sunday morning and said, I, where can I be generous? With my words, with my time, with my kindness, with my presence, with my friendship, with my home. What if everybody walked in on Sunday morning and was like, who can I invite over to my home to, to have lunch with? Or who can I connect with? Or, what, what an, here's what would happen. The attractiveness of this community would be so powerful that we wouldn't have enough room for the people that would want to be here. If we walked in here, we're just like, where can I be generous? Paul says to them in verse 8, this is not a, I'm not commanding you because Christians don't need to be commanded to give. But the earnestness of your love is proven to be genuine because of your generosity. They gave beyond what they were able, and they gave entirely on their own. And then the last thing that we should notice about their giving and about generosity is this, is the final point, is that generous people first give themselves to God. Paul says, and uh, he says that they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. Paul says that nothing was more important to these believers than the act of giving themselves first to Jesus. See, we can give all our money away, and there's a lot of very generous people out there who are not believers. Uh, We can give all our money away, but unless we learn that the most significant way to respond to the generosity of God is to give our very lives to him, then we miss the whole point. God is not after your money. He's not after your wallet. He's not after your bank account, and neither is this church. But God is after your heart. And, our, and very often, where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, right? That's what the, what you you want to know what someone's heart is. You want to know where, what someone loves most. Pay attention to how they use their resources, their time, their talent, and their treasure. So God doesn't need your money. I don't need your money. That's not what this is about. But this is about our hearts. And the Macedonians, before they gave a, 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 any money to the church in Jerusalem, Paul recognized first and foremost, and most importantly, they gave themselves to Jesus. And they gave themselves to Jesus, believing that he first gave himself to them and for them. Do you believe that Jesus gave himself to you? That he gave himself for you? And then Paul summarizes it, and I have the band come up in this beautiful verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, speaking of the riches of God's heaven, grace, glory, though he was rich, yet for your sake... Look at what Jesus did for you. For your sake, he became poor. Now, what kind of poverty did Jesus embrace? Every single form of it. There is not a form of poverty. Jesus was a man who, they say, he was not an attractive man. 
So he, the poverty even of just the way he looked. The, his reputation was run through the... He was slandered. He was accused of all sorts of things. He grew up in a poor home. He was not a rich, wealthy man. Jesus embraced the poverty of the human experience and ultimately the poverty of being condemned for a crime that he didn't commit and then the poverty of being wrongly executed on a cross in my place and in your place and then the poverty of becoming our sin so that God could judge our sin but still accept us. That's the poverty that Jesus embraced. For your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, his work, what he did, you might become rich. The riches of God's righteousness, that God would love you and accept you, not because of you, who you are and what you've done, not because you got your act together, not because you always make the right choices, but because you know you don't. And so you've taken your hope, and instead of placing it in yourself, you're placing it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's in that that we experience the riches of God's grace and mercy. Jesus was radically generous, and this is good news for three reasons. I'm going to close with this. Number one, his generous life motivates us and inspires us to be the same. But also, his generosity led him to the cross where he died on our place. And on the cross, all of our selfishness and greed was credited to Jesus. He became our sin and took our punishment. And then thirdly, his generous life is now generously given and credited to those who will not trust in themselves or in money or in material possessions, but trust fully in Jesus. And that means that if you've given yourself to Jesus, even though you are far from perfect, and even though you and I are still greedy and stingy very often, God the Father looks at us as if we lived the generous life that Jesus lived. And therein lies the motivation to be generous. We're going to sing this song, and in just a moment, we're going to take communion together. And the communion table is just this beautiful, tangible, visible reminder of the generosity of Jesus, that he gave his blood, the most costly, valuable thing a human being can give. He gave his blood for us. He allowed his body to be broken for us. And if we've received grace upon grace, the generosity of the Father through the person and work of the Son, now received by the Spirit, then who are we to not be generous beyond our means, to look and be eager to be generous, and to give ourselves first to Christ? Let's stand and sing this song together.